Do you ever struggle with your fuzzy brain? I do. Welcome to the Uncluttered Office Podcast. Here I share what I've learned from my struggles with chemo brain and executive functioning disorder. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. I'm a former Wall Streeter, now entrepreneur, with 20 years of experience in business and office design. I'm a badass cancer survivor and thriver, mom of a teen, a wife, and a lifelong learner. I've discovered that whether we lose our keys, misplace our files, or constantly forget important appointments, we can learn to be more productive. We can design a work and home life that is simpler, easier, and much more manageable. Listen in and learn how to create a plan to streamline your space and your systems so you can be more focused and organized. Hey everyone, Katherine Avery of ProductivityByDesign.com and your host of the Uncluttered Office Podcast. Today I have Diane Wingert as my special guest. She is a brilliant specialist in the world of ADHD. After two decades as a successful psychotherapist, Diane reinvented herself as a coach so she could shift the conversation from problems to possibilities. She passionately believes that this stage of life is the most powerful if we are truly willing to let go of whatever is holding us back. Now in her sixth decade, Diane is continuing to learn, evolve, and defy her own limits while helping others do the same. She has a particular fondness for coaching the driven but distracted over 50 entrepreneur. She has a brand new podcast called The Driven Woman. I am so excited to have Diane Wong with us today. How are Thank you? Catherine, so great to see you again. So one of the things I love about your story is you left, and I'm putting left in quotation marks, psychotherapy to become an ADHD coach. Exactly. And I would contend that psychotherapy background is critical to being a really great ADHD coach. I would love to hear a little bit about your background story and what inspired you to make this shift. Well, in true ADHD fashion, I have had multiple careers. And I stuck with psychotherapy for a very long time because I am an intensely curious human. And understanding people and what makes them tick is seriously my drug of choice. And so I was able, over the course of 20 years as a therapist, work with all different kinds of people, all different kinds of problems, and all different kinds of settings. But towards the end, I spent the last eight years in private practice. And over time, I began specializing more and more and more in working with women in their 40s and 50s who were encountering all kinds of transitions as we do at that age and stage. Now, curiously enough, I discovered over time that many of these women, while they were um, struggling with issues of anxiety and depression, underneath that was actually unidentified, unaddressed, undiagnosed ADHD. Mm. And as that started happening more and more, ultimately it led me to a point where I realized that was true for me too. And once I finally uh, got myself assessed and realized, oh my goodness, you are actually ADHD and you always have been. I knew I needed to pivot and help other women just like me because we are out there in vast numbers. Absolutely. And as you know, I struggle with what I call executive function disorder, but 
you've informed me more than once, is ADHD. I've never been officially diagnosed. I often think that if I had been a male, I would have been diagnosed a whole lot sooner. For sure. Right. And I think I've gotten by all these years just sort of by being in the goody two-shoes. You know, I always love to learn. I love to study. I was very intense in school. I had crippling anxiety in many ways during school, but I had a lot of grit and determination. And it wasn't really into my 50s before I realized that in the brain department, I was kind of screwed. (laughs) I don't want to say that. I was saying that a little facetiously, but you know, as you know, I had cancer. I had chemo brain after cancer. It was crippling. And I really ended up having to close my business. And one of the reasons I'm doing what I'm doing now is because I never want anyone who's running a business to have to shut it down like I had to do. So I have so many questions around this, but let's start with this. Why are men, women missed? What, what happens that we don't get diagnosed? This is a huge question, and I'll try to be concise in my answer. First and foremost, nobody wakes up one day with ADHD in their 40s or 50s, or even in their 20s. If you have ADHD, you've always had it. Now, the story, of course, starts in childhood. Little girls are socialized differently than little boys and little girls behave differently than little boys. We act and this starts in the brain and in the hormones. Girls are under the influence of estrogen from the time their bodies start moving towards puberty. Now estrogen is called the tend and befriend hormone. And what this means is that we are actually biologically programmed to be very interested in other people, very interested in what other people think and very interested in what other people think about us. We want them to like us, we want to belong, we want to uh, fit in, and we want other people to be happy. Now, females are also socialized this way by culture all over the world and always have been. Somebody has to have babies and take care of them and keep the house clean and all of that. Well, take those traits and add ADHD, and what tends to happen is we are more able to sit still give the appearance of paying attention and follow directions than our male counterparts. The boys are more physically active because of their hormonal makeup. So they're up and out of the chair. They're interrupting. They're blurting things out. They're pushing and shoving. They won't wait in line. Girls, even though they may be ADHD in their brain, are so much more concerned about fitting in and following the rules that we will suppress that activity in our minds and in our bodies so that we follow the rules. Now, there's a cost to this. The cost usually ends up being expressed in anxiety. And if you stay in that lane long enough, most women with ADHD will become depressed. The reason why is in order to be able to physically suppress all of that activity, because we have very fast brains. (laughs) Yeah, mine is super fast. Super fast. And I I always refer to it as driving with the emergency brake on. You know, you've got this Ferrari brain that's always revved up. And especially if you are a learner, like you and I both are, you're so eager to learn. You're so eager to consume. You always want to make yourself better and better and better. Of course, it makes you a very good student if you can suppress yourself from constantly speaking out or constantly interrupting or Um, And I was scolded as a child by my teachers because they would start asking the class a question and I 
has had such a fast brain that I immediately knew where the question was going, what answer they were looking for, and my hand would shoot up in the air. And because that happened so many times, my teachers would say, Diane, why don't we give some of the other students a chance? Hmm? I felt shamed by being an eager learner. Well, I was becoming a classroom management problem because I was a fast brain. I had the answer. I wanted to speak up. And the teacher basically told me to zip it.com and give someone else a chance. So um, when that happens with young girls, and of course, I'm more on the hyperactive variety than many, um, they start to learn that there's something wrong with them. Now, the other girls on the more inattentive, distractible side of the spectrum, they're not going to be identified either because they will be quietly doodling on their paper, staring out the window, looking at the shape of the curls on the head of the girl in the seat next to them and following the spiral and starting to imagine other things. So they're not going to be a management problem, but they will be quietly underachieving according to their true potential. And the teacher will just think they're a space cadet or not very bright. And those girls will start to think of themselves in the same way. Now, fascinatingly, my daughter is a doodler and her history teacher just gets her. He's really tuned in to different ways people learn and think. And when he saw that, and we had our parent-teacher meeting back at the beginning of the fall, and we gave him some information about what was going on and how things, you know, ways to uh, harness her energy. He said, I see that she doodles and she actually is quite good at art. And so I'm going to make sure that some of the projects we do this year are ones where she can do artistic things. Fabulous. And what a gift. She has had the most fun doing these beautiful projects around history. I mean, this is not that she just draws a tree. This is legit that she... But this is her fidget, Catherine. Right? The boys will want to have those little spinners or... I don't have a clickable pen, but they'll be click, 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 or they'll be tapping their foot or you know, banging something on the edge of their desk. The girls will often, and some of the boys, I don't want to be too gender biased about this, but the ones who have the artistic talent will be doodling. And sometimes they discover great talent. A lot of creatives right. have ADHD. A lot. And you know, I'm a creative. Yes. Draw. That's not really my thing. She got into the slime business because she loved playing with slime. It helped her focus. The slime business. I didn't know there was a slime business. Imagine that there was a whole thing with that whole slime (laughs) trend. We were in on that. I have to tell you something. We could go right down that rabbit hole. Oh, let's not. Let's not. Let's stick to. Don't go there. So so let's talk. Now we've talked about how we see ADHD in girls or young people. And, and then let's kind of jump ahead to what it means as adults, as we discover this, here I am, I discovered this at age 50 something after going through cancer, like it's the last fucking thing I wanted was to be dealing with chemo brain. You know, of course I had, I had triple positive breast cancer. So it was that they were shutting down all my hormones and you're going to talk about the hormone element, which is amazing. So actually let's start there and then we'll do the next thing. I'd love to talk about that connection between estrogen and women's brains. Yes. 
It's actually, there's a fabulous book and uh, you should let your audience know about this. I have recommended this book to so many people and it is a game changer. It is not specifically about chemo brain or brain fog or ADHD, but it is a book that I think every single woman at every age and stage should have and read and refer to as she goes through life, especially for our age group, chapter seven, The Mature Brain. The book I'm referring to is called The Female Brain. It's written by a female uh, physician, and her name is Luann Brizendine. The reason why I like this book so much is that it's scholarly, but also very easy to read. And in this book, Dr. Brizendine talks about the connection between estrogen and how we focus. Now, the challenges of girls and women with ADHD are, as you say, in the functions of the executive branch of your brain, which is to say, planning, prioritizing, sequencing, anticipating how much time is necessary for mm -hmm. tasks, anticipating things ahead of time, uh, managing the amount of time and energy and focus, and not giving in to distractions and interruptions and, and creative ideas that we might have to get swept away by. Well, estrogen, in addition to being the tend and befriend hormone that literally makes us behave in a nice way that people like to be around and makes us want to have children and take care of them, is uh, also very connected to dopamine. Dopamine is the hormone, the neurotransmitter that our brain makes that helps us want to move forward. Now, there's two hormones we need to know about, neurotransmitters, excuse me. One is dopamine and the other is serotonin. Both of them, serotonin makes us feel good and dopamine makes us want to take action. So you and I happen to be naturally rewarded by learning. We did great in school. Who would be thinking there's a problem with learning or executive functions? But it's because we really liked it. It's because we really enjoyed it. If we happen to like and be fascinated by something that had nothing to do with school, we would struggle in school because we'd rather be doing that other thing. Well, once you go through menopause or perimenopause and you start getting close to that, you then begin to experience what I now affectionately call the estrogen evacuation. Estrogen is literally leaving the building and it's not coming back. And when that happens, your brain's ability to produce dopamine and to, and to be able to use the dopamine that you have on board is now impaired. So women will suddenly feel apathetic. They'll feel they can't make decisions. They'll feel that they just don't want to do anything, or they might get excited about an idea and then just totally fizzle out on the execution. Um, when we are on task, let's say there's something we want to do. We're actually excited about doing it. It might be something that we're creating for our uh, our audience right. or for our, our tribe. But unless the dopamine is happening on a regular basis in our brain, we are unable to sustain that forward momentum. And if we're not getting enough serotonin, we're not being rewarded enough by the steps that we take to want to keep taking them. So what you inevitably discover is typically a brilliant, creative, unique and original woman with a lot of drive and ambition who is not able to either start or finish. And that is very 
frustrating. I, I remember when I first started going through menopause and really started experiencing a big uptick in my own ADHD symptoms, which I didn't know I had at the time, I literally started to wonder if I had early onset Alzheimer's. And right around that time, my husband and I were watching the movie um, Still Alice. I happen to like Julianne more, but the movie is about a woman who gets early onset Alzheimer's. And within 20 minutes, I was sobbing and I said, we have to turn this off. And I am not a crier. It was just too close to home. I literally thought I was losing my mind. So a lot of women go to their primary care doctor. Um, most of them won't even make it to a psychiatrist. They'll go to their primary care doctor or their gynecologist and say, something's wrong with me. I feel depressed. I can't think straight. I walk into a room and I forget why I'm there. I have all these plans and goals and dreams, but suddenly I just don't feel like doing any of them. And I sit on the couch and binge watch Netflix. I don't know who I am anymore. Some of those women, if you can trace back all the way to childhood, mm -hmm. difficulty with focus, difficulty with follow through, difficulty with finishing, difficulty with organization, difficulty with perfect perfectionism and procrastination, there's a very good chance she may be ADHD and it is by no means too late to find out. In fact, she owes it to herself to find out because if she doesn't, chances are she's just going to think, well, I'm finished. I guess I'm never going to be able to do any of the big plans that I wanted to do. And I think midlife is the time when so many women kind of get their second wind. You know, we're more or less out of the weeds when it comes to child rearing. Our parents, you know, are, are uh, you know, moving on and, and passing. And oftentimes we find we can really start to do some of the things we've wanted to do for years, but didn't have the time only for your brain to short out on you. It's, it's so unfair. It was. I mean, I felt so broken. I, I remember going into a client meeting and I told them ahead of time, I said, look, I am going to forget simple words and you are going to look at me like I have three heads. Luckily, the people, those particular clients, they were my first clients when I started getting back to work again. God bless them. Several of the people in their company had been through cancer and chemo, so they really got it. And it was wonderful. And I remember sitting in a meeting and saying, so right after we get the delivery for, you know, the wood, it's like two by four, but in your instance, it's going to be two by six and we're going to get we're, a big delivery. We're finding difficulties. Right. And I'm sitting there like for, and finally someone looks at me and says very graciously, lumber. And I said, it was almost like a game of charades. Everybody's like, it was uh, hilarious. <laughs> and everybody yeah. laughed at the table and I said, well, here it is. Broke the ice. Yeah. So, and I said, this is just how it's going to be. And it's not that I don't care about your project. And it's not that I'm not detail oriented. And I'm not going to focus in and get everything done. It turned out great. It's a beautiful project. I worked my tail off on it. And I was, you know, and I was loving what I was doing. I loved my clients. So guess what I was doing? Hyper focus, you know, yes. which is great. And but you know what? Yes. We have. That story really highlights a couple of things that I think you absolutely have to cultivate if they're not already a big part of your personality is grace yeah. and humor. Because I used to try so hard to suppress what I call suppress the mess. And I used to, my goal was to pass for normal. I did not want anyone to notice that I was different, that I, I needed to do things differently, that because 
growing up, usually from childhood, different means bad, it means wrong, it means defective, it means there's something wrong with you. And so you try your very hardest not to be different. But I think when you get to the stage of life that we're at, um, one of the benefits is that maybe we care a little bit less what other people think and a little bit more about what we think. But if you haven't developed the habit of giving yourself the grace, like, can you imagine in that meeting, if you had, I have had clients who would say, stupid, stupid, stupid. Why can't I remember the stupid word? And they're literally beating themselves up. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I gave up the word stupid about a decade ago. Oh, thank goodness. So here's what happened. I'll tell you the story. I believed I was stupid and I will not say who, because I would never do this, but I was told by someone in my life over and over again that I was stupid Mm. as a young person. And I was later told by the same person who apologized profusely, having had no idea the damage, because let's face it, we're in a different generation. Parenting is very different now. So like the last thing I want to do is throw anybody in the family under the bus. Right. And, and said, I never wanted you to get a big head because you're so freaking smart. Mm. And I was like, oh, except I went backfire. (laughs) And, 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 you know, it can go either way. Lots of praise backfire too. So don't get me wrong. It's a very delicate thing. And and being a parent is extremely difficult. I'm in the midst of it now. You know, I'm a 15-year-old. I'm trying the best I can. And what happened was, I was, I think, 38 years old in therapy Mm. for my anxiety. Yes. Depression as an element Uh of my anxiety. Uh And I said some comment off the top of my head about how I had an interest in urban planning and that the really top-notch school for it was Yale. It still is. And I said I could never get into Yale. Now, mind you, I went to Smith College. And I thought the only reason I was at Smith College was a total fluke that someone had made a mistake. <laughs> I don't think I told you this, but I used to supervise uh, social work students, graduate social work students from Smith College when I was at USC. It's they were brilliant. Program. It's a spectacular program. Great. I'm so delighted to hear that. That's awesome. So anyway, I'm in with the therapist and he said, I am so sick and tired of hearing you beat yourself up and say you're stupid. Would you just take a Mensa test? Mm-hmm. And I could never take a Mensa test, but I did because it was my homework for the week. And I took a Mensa test and I came in and I told him what my IQ was and it is not low. (laughs) And he said, really, I would have said exactly that number, which is in, I think, the top one or 2% of the population. And, And I think the reason I bring this story up is for women in particular to recognize if you've got this different brain, this what you know Peter Shankman calls a faster than normal brain, and I think that's a great description. It's a great, a great it's not that you're stupid, and how we talk to ourselves is everything. And the day I found out that I was good at this Mensa test, you know that I'd done well on it. I said, that's it. I'm not, I'm not ever calling I'm done you. with that stupid shit. And I'm not letting anyone else call themselves stupid. My daughter knows. Like, I get more upset about her saying stupid than shit. I'd rather that she had a four-letter word come out of her mouth than stupid. I think stupid is very detrimental. The because children, children live up or down mm-hmm. to what's expected of them. 
Exactly. So set the bar where you want them to reach. If you tell them they're stupid, if you tell them they're lazy, if you tell them they're crazy, if you tell them they'll ever amount to anything, a very small percentage will say, oh yeah, watch me. You will succeed. But they'll never enjoy their achievements because the driver is like revenge. But the others will say, well, if my own mother doesn't think I'm smart, then... Right. And it was not my mother who said it, by the way. It was not my mother who said it. I, I, it was funny because I remember standing in a line at the grocery store and it was very long. Everything was taking a very long time. And I, I don't know, I, this is before having cell phones. So I must've picked up a magazine or I was thinking about something or whatever I was doing. And I was just very patient, 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 good Lord, patiently standing in line And I remember my mom saying, like, how can you do that? How can you be so patient? And I said, because I realized something. If I'm in the 1% of the population in intelligence, then it's not that they're all stupid. It's just that I'm really smart. So I need to give everybody time and space to get done what they need to do and understand that the problem isn't them, it's me. And it's not a bad problem to have. I rather like this problem. Oh, yeah. You can absolutely live with it. As a matter of fact, (laughs) we are both members of a subset of women with ADHD who are gifted and have ADHD. And the the term for, and I'm not, we don't want to overemphasize the labels, but they do help us. Um, it's a, it's a form of shorthand, um, you know, gifted, you may be highly intellectually, uh, intelligent, have a very high IQ score, but if you can't demonstrate that because small things are just inexplicably challenging, it does a real number on your head. And I think the, the term for our little group is twice exceptional. We are an exception from the norm because we have ADHD and only about, well, officially less than 5% of people do. I think unofficially it's probably between 10 and 12% of people would qualify if only they would get diagnosed. But um, that means... No, I'm undiagnosed. So there I am sitting in that. In the vast majority. In fact, probably you have listeners to this episode who'd be like, I wonder if I am. The truth is... Uh, 85% of women with ADHD don't know it and will never know it. Wow. Um, And if you are twice exceptional, if you are gifted and have ADHD, you are part of that subset, but it's not likely that you will know either thing. What you will know and how you will notice is that there will always be a gap between where you are and where you could be. And that gap will be both a driver for you that you'll constantly try to say, I have so many good ideas. I'm so smart. I, I have, I'm so creative. Why can't I make any of them happen? Those are my people. Right. Because there's a reason for this. You're not broken and you are not alone. But if you don't know that, you're going to be frustrated. You're probably going to be anxious. You're probably going to be depressed. You may even be a long-term psychotherapy patient and never ever will the subject of ADHD come up because most therapists don't know how to identify it in an adult woman. Yeah. I was so, so lucky. We, we, we get missed as children and as adults. 
my therapist had ADHD, so it really helped. And in fact, when I finally came around and said, I think I might have ADHD, he started laughing. He said, really? You were very... (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) You were very... I actually got diagnosed officially at the age of 60 by a child psychiatrist because I needed someone who was, you know, up to the minute in her training and really because she worked with children, she also worked with their parents. So she knew that this isn't something you outgrow. When I first went through my graduate training in the early 90s, I worked with all little boys with ADHD. And the thinking then was, they will outgrow this. Well, then I started meeting their parents and I said, I don't think so. (laughs) Don't outgrow. I actually did my thesis on this and I still didn't apply it to me because here's the thinking. And I know this is your story too. And maybe some of the people listening The thinking is, if you're doing well in school, if you are not a problem child, if you are not spending time in the principal's office, if you're getting good grades, you don't have ADHD. How could you? But ADHD doesn't mean your brain doesn't work. It means it works differently. And that understanding makes all things possible. That up until the time you really get that, you're super frustrated because you think, I need to do this like everybody else. No, you don't. You can't, actually. Right. You can't. You have to do it differently. And I think that's, a, you know, in a way, that's a gift. I agree. Because when we do something differently, it opens it up for other people to see that they could do something differently, too. Yes. What a gift that is. That's why I feel lucky very, very lucky, very fortunate to be alive during this period of time in our history with the internet, with social media, when people who are different can find one another online. You know, in the past, if you were different, you probably felt a little socially isolated and a little bit like a misfit. So you were compelled to try to pass for normal so you could fit in. That was certainly my story and probably yours. Now, when people are different, maybe many of them still try to fit in, but some of them will go online and look for others like them. And they're there. They're all over the place. A lot of people with ADHD are in the entertainment fields. They are first responders. They go into high-risk fields like police work, the military, firefighters. They are athletes. Um, oftentimes, and many of them are academics. I, I have clients who have multiple degrees, including one who has three PhDs. So this whole notion that you, if you're smart and you are an achiever in school, you can't have ADHD, it's not true. It is based on old understanding that needs to be updated in a very big way. And I, I try to be part of that conversation. I think that's amazing. So speaking of our conversation, I hate to say I could have you on again and again. And so we will. Okay. Uh, I would love for you to tell everyone how to find you. Well, you have to know how to spell my name with an unusual spelling. It's Diane Wingert, but I have two N's and no E's. So it's D-I-A-N-N. My website is Diane Wingert Coaching. And I have just launched a new podcast on May the 19th called The Driven Woman. You can find it on Apple, uh, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and all the other podcatchers. The Driven Woman is for the driven but distracted entrepreneur in particular, 
The episodes are short, to the point, meant to be both actionable advice and inspiration. And I would love it if you check it out. It is amazing. I have checked it out. I think I've listened to the first two episodes and I noticed you've got two more up now, I believe. Yes, this week's uh, episode is the six attributes of an entrepreneur. So since you are one, you might want to have a listen. Oh, I intend to. And actually, by the time this runs, it'll be, you'll have a few more. I have no oh, doubt. Oh, sweet. sweet. You're like me and having, you know, the podcast going every week, which is great. I'm super excited for you. Thank you so much for coming on. So grateful for you. We'll definitely have you back. Okay. I'd love to. Super. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you. You've been listening to the Uncluttered Office Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and www.productivitybydesign.com. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. If you like what you've heard, please share this episode with someone you think needs it. I would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews make my heart sing and can help even more people find the gifts in their productivity challenges. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.